take your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy 5, is where we're going to be at this morning. If you've been with us recently, you know last week we had a missionary, Seth Grotsky, to Spain. And before that, though, you know we've been going and working our way through the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, again, is a letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, a younger pastor in the faith that he has left to minister to the church at Ephesus and the surrounding churches in that area of Ephesus. And so we've been working our way through, and as we've worked through chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, uh, we know we've been talking about widows. And we came to the conclusion of that discussion last time. He discussed that the church should really minister to widows. And then also, second half of that is that he should put widows into ministry in the church, those who are faithful and examples of what Christ should look like. Well, that brings us to 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 25. And I'll title the message this morning, Loving Your Leaders. Loving Your Leaders. For three summers, right out of high school, uh, I worked hanging rain gutters. And maybe I've told you this before. Well, I did it for three summers, and for the first two summers, I loved it. Loved the job. It was fun. But the third summer was a different story. And let me tell you the reason why. The first two summers, uh, we work in groups of three. Uh, We work on a truck. And so those three people that I worked with the first time were my brother, who I got along most of the time, right? We got along most of the time. And uh, then a friend from church. And in that uh, dynamic, us three, we worked really well together. And there was a, a leader of the group, and that leader would get the jobs from the boss. We would load up our truck. We'd have to figure out which gutter rolls we'd need for that day, all the different material. But we worked well together, right? Because we were following the leader, and we were doing it in a loving, caring fashion. Come to year number three, the story changed a little bit. My brother and friend from work, they decided to take a different job after they graduated from college. And so I went back, but the two guys that I got working with were unbelievers, and not just unbelievers, but those who were rough, very difficult to work with. And in, in that dynamic, there was one of those who was the leader of the crew who was not helpful, who was not caring, who was not kind. Uh, let me give you an example. In one of the jobs, someone on our crew forgot an extension cord at a job that we did the day before. We got to the shop the next day, and this guy uh, blew up because that means we got to drive extra. We got to take that out of our own money that we're getting paid. And he starts just blowing up at all of us. So much so that he got in my face. He had his hand cocked like this, and I was like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get hit today, okay? <laughs> now, you, you know what it's like. Maybe you've had to work with people like that in the past, and it's difficult, right? And if they're the ones that are leading you and you have to follow after, it is difficult. Now, we get to the other scenario where you have a loving, kind leader who is helpful, who's trying to to, to help the group, and it's different. It's someone that you want to follow, someone that that you, you look to follow after, okay? In our passage today... Paul is addressing to Timothy uh, the office of an elder, the office of a leader in the church. And he's telling them that our passage today is to learn about the importance of godly leaders in the church, and specifically the job of the church to care for and appreciate their pastors. Now, the the, the reality that is taught in this passage is that godly, loving, helpful pastors in the church 
should be praised, appreciated, followed, and thanked. And the thanking that I'm talking about is not solely thanks to that individual. It's thanking God for bringing a person into your church family that is going to help guide you in godly living, in godly teaching. And as a church family, you care for that person. Now, to be honest with you, it's a little awkward, it's a little awkward passage for me to preach, right? As, as the pastor telling you how important it is to love your pastor, it's a little strange. You know what it feels like for me is that it feels like I'm at my own birthday party and I, I got to sing my own birthday song, all right? And you guys just have to sit and watch, okay? <laughs> so I understand that weird, uh, weird passage that we're in this morning. But like every other passage that we come to that we're studying, our importance is to get past any awkwardness or weirdness and to teach what God's Word is telling us in the text. So that's what we're going to do this morning and we're going to look at 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 25. So turn there with me, and we'll read it in its entirety, and then we'll break it up and see what Paul is teaching us this morning. 1 Timothy 5, 17 says this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Verse 20, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also, good works are conspicuous, and even those are not, cannot remain hidden. So what we're talking about here today is leaders. Leaders amongst us as a church family and a church body. And I challenge you this morning to love and serve the godly leaders God has placed over you. Love and serve the godly leaders that God has placed over you. Now, first thing we start with is this idea that there are leaders that God has placed in a position over top of us for our help and for us to move forward in our Christian walk. Some of us might think and take that idea like, no, I mean, I'm my own Christian and I can grow by myself in his word, by myself, I don't need other people. And to tell me that I need to submit to other people, the church, and to leaders that have been over that's something I don't want to hear. And that's something that I don't want to do. Well, Scripture would challenge you on this thought process. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13 says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly, in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Hebrews 13.7 says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I mean, God has placed those leaders above you. It is not the person himself that you are following. Remember that God has chosen to bring that leader into your life for your benefit. And as you're doing that, you're trying to figure out their way of life and how they imitate Christ, and then you imitate them as they imitate Christ. 
The same way that Paul has explained in his own life, we are to imitate Paul's life because he imitates Christ. One more, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give to, to give an account. They're keep, keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage. Uh, this is a job that leaders, I know all pastors, take very seriously. I mean, listen to this text. It's saying that we are given the responsibility as pastors to care for your soul. It's not something that we take lightly. It's something that we, we pour over, we pray over. We, we want what's best for the church and the individuals in the church for the sake of Christian growth and becoming like Christ. And, and we know that we're going to have to answer before God how we ministered to those who are around us. And, and because of that such heavy weight, you know, we pray for God's wisdom. We ask for your prayer to pray for us and to pray for the wisdom that we need in doing that. To, to lead the church, and to, to care for the church the way God calls us to. So, this morning we're going to be challenged to love and serve the godly leaders that God has placed over you. As we're going to go throughout the passage, we're going to see four different instructions that Paul gives to Timothy and reminds them how you can love and serve your pastors that are over you. How you can love and serve your pastors that are over you. First instruction we find in verses 17 and 18. And that first instruction is to honor faithful pastors. Honor faithful pastors. Verse 17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And we're going to jump right to verses 18, well, the two sections of verses 18 first. And what it tells us is that an elder is placed over you and is honorable just for the position that he is in because God has placed him there. It's not so much his character. It's not, I mean, his character is following the Christian character, but the position itself is what God has designed to be a, a leader in the church. And he says when that person is placed in that position, 18 says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And what that means is don't trip him up. Don't try to allow things that are going to hurt his family, hurt his ministry, and cause him to have to turn away from doing the job that God has called him to do. The second uh, phrase that he uses is that the laborer deserves his wages. I mean, these are two different phrases, one from the Old Testament and then one from the New Testament. The second one is from Jesus himself and says that the laborer deserves his wages. If somebody is working hard with a specific job, he deserves uh, the rightful uh, honor and authority that has been given to him for that job. And this is what he's talking about in this passage to pastors. Now jump back up to verse 17, and it says this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Some would take this to mean that there's some sort of money differential between those who work well and the pastors who actually... Uh, do well, labor hard in preaching and teaching. Those ones should get paid or those ones should get paid more or double. I don't think that that's what the passage is specifically telling us. First of all, it says that every pastor is worthy of honor. Just because of the position itself, we should hold him in a place of honor. You think about what he has done to try to minister to you. He's given up other opportunities that he could have uh, gone to make more money, to, to do different things that would have 
you know, he wanted to do in life, he's, he's put those aside so that he can minister to your hearts, okay? So a pastor in the position, just in the position of pastor, deserves honor. But then he goes further than that, and he says, let the elder who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. So there are those who rule, they consider, they're all pastors are rulers, worthy of honor, but then those are the, that rule well, for some reason or another, they go deeper, they, they work harder. We can see it, that they, they, they do a good job in what God has called them to do. And they, they're worthy of double honor. That's even just this idea of lifting them up even a little bit higher. And then he, he qualifies what this double honor is connected to. It says, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Sometimes we think that maybe it's an easy thing to get up and preach or to even think through a passage. Yeah, it is a labor, it is a job for us as pastors, not to just understand a passage, because I feel like I can, I can read a commentary, I can read a book, and it's going to be helpful, but to think through how can I use this passage to really affect the lives and, and God change their hearts. And, and it includes prayer. It includes being in the Word constantly, letting that passage seep into your own life and being affected by it first. This is what it takes to labor it's not a quick, oh, I got a Saturday night, make up my sermon. You've always heard that before. Or you've heard, oh, you only work one day a week, right? I mean, it's just kind of a joke that, that's always put around. We know that's not the truth. We know the pastors that are truly concerned about ministering for God for the purpose of his glory, they work hard at it, and they labor in preaching and teaching. And it says those ones, <clears throat> we lift up and we honor them. Uh, that's the question we have to ask now. How does it look like to honor the leaders that are above us? Now, to give an example of what it looks like to honor, <clears throat> I pulled out one video clip. And this video clip is of Randy Moss. And he, the, the, the person that is coming to talk to him at his house, he's from the Hall of Fame uh, organization. And they're coming to explain, tell Randy Moss, he's going to be the next one inducted into the Hall of Fame. Okay, and I want you to listen to what he says. It gives us an example of what it looks like to really honor somebody. Okay. Good to see you, Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I'm president of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Hey, on behalf of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, on behalf of your fellow Hall of Famers, on behalf of all of us who love the game, it's my privilege to welcome you to Canton, Ohio. <laughs> which will be your new home for the rest of time. Okay? And Randy, I want to thank you for all you've done for the game, for all you're going to do for the game. Okay, Randy? And I want to thank you so much uh, because this is going to be the beginning of your journey, not the end of your football career. We're going to put a gold jacket on you. We're going to give you a bronze bust. We're going to give you a ring of excellence. Okay, and the things you're going to do with that are incredible. You're going to change people's lives just like this is going to change your life. Thank okay? you, Miss Baker. So thank you. Now, here's a couple. All right. So what we have here is an example of what it looks like to honor somebody with your speech. Now, now think. This, I like to watch the Vikings as much as anybody else, but you know, being honored for catching a football, doing the things that you love to do, and getting paid millions for it, you know, not as important. But we, we see in this, this is the example of speaking what, what is good and what is a profitable for, for that organization. But as we turn that and we think about the church and the pastors that have been in our lives and affecting us from a little age till now, that they, they have challenged us with the truth of God's word. They've helped us see that, that we're sinners that need a savior. 
I mean, the Scripture says, how are they supposed to hear unless somebody preaches or teaches to them? We have to be thankful and praise God for the leaders he's placed over us that are going to tell us the truth about life and about godliness and about pleasing him. It looks like that to honor them, is to speak truth, one thing, speak truth to them. Show them that, they, that you uh, appreciate and care for what they do for you and for the church. But that's not the only thing we can do to honor them. So how else do we show honor to a pastor? I've written, written out a couple uh, suggestions for you, how to show pastors honor. First one, seek to respect their shepherding role. Seek to respect their shepherding role. God has called them to a place, to a time, to an area to be that leader. And, you know, there's going to be times where you have different opinions, you have different thoughts, but God has called him to that job of leading. Now, that's not to say you should never come and ask him or have conversations with him about, you know, suggestions for ministry. That's good. That's good. He wants you to do that. Um, But as you do that, remember that God has called him to think of the whole group as a whole and how they as a church are ministering to each of the different areas and groups. And so seek to respect the shepherding role that God has brought to the pastor. Second one, seek to care for their needs. Seek to care for their needs. We go back to that second phrase in verse 18. It says, the laborer deserves his wages. And so a lot of would say, a lot would say, well, yes, physically we have to care for his needs. And that should be something that as a church we consider to say, are the pastor's needs being met? Are there ways that we can help him that are going to make it easier for him, for his family, for his ministry, that he doesn't have to worry about it, that he doesn't have to care so much about the weight of retirement or any other physical thing that we can help him with? Can we help the pastors in those different ways? Also, not just physically, but spiritually. Do you pray for your pastor? Do you think about him throughout the week? It's so hard for us sometimes to get out of our own uh, little box of what's going on in our own life and the busyness and the craziness. But is the pastor one of the people you put on your list to pray for? Do you know that you know, God has brought him to that place, but you know who is against him as much as he is against every other Christian? Is Satan and the devil and he wants to tear down your pastors. And if he can effectively tear down one of the pastors, it does a lot of damage. It does a lot of damage. Do you pray for your pastors? Do you seek to care for their needs physically and spiritually? Next one, seek to follow their leadership. Seek to follow their leadership. That, that takes us growing in humility. To say, I want to follow well, I want to be a good follower. I know that God has placed me in a spot. He's placed my pastors in a spot. I want to be a helpful follower. The same way that the pastor himself is an under-shepherd of Jesus Christ. He is the one who's supposed to be following Christ. And then those under him are following him as he follows Christ. He's got his own authority structure in Jesus and in God. Follow uh, your leaders. Next one, seek to learn God's word from them. Seek to learn God's word from them. You know, Pastor Dan and I, each and every week, we start our week by meeting in our office with a time of prayer, with a time of considering the people in our church that we can pray for, we can connect with this week, that we can minister to in specific ways. And it's in some of those meetings that we develop different studies that we want to do, 
different conferences that we want to put on. And those things are not done haphazardly. We want to do them because we want to minister to you. And you know, you as a, as a church family, you pay us, and we are privileged to be able to study God's word and to present God's word to you. And I think it's a sad thing that if, when you pay us and you, you say with your finances that that's an important thing, that at times you have people that don't really care about learning God's word, don't really make it a priority to come to the things that, that we've set out to give you and to challenge your heart with, those are all good things that you have to think, if the pastors, they, they've tried to develop this for me and help this for me, like, I want to be a part of following after those things. Right? Seek to learn God's word from them. Coming to the, the messages that we have, coming to the home groups that we have, coming to the ladies' study and the men's study and the different things. Are you putting those as a priority on your list and recognizing that the pastors care deeply about you? I mean, we don't come up with those things on our own. We, we prayerfully think through our church family and say, how can we minister to them? And then we try to you know, present things for that purpose. The last one, how we seek to honor the pastor, seek to follow their character and behavior. We've touched on that already. The pastor should not be someone who is bullying his way to what he wants. He is gentle and kind, and even at times when there is a, a, a difference, he, he should be one who wants to work with and care for those that are in his care. Seek to follow that character. Seek to look at it and say, God, help me develop that, what I see in my pastors. Seek to follow their character and behavior. First thing that Paul instructs us to do is honor faithful pastors. Honor faithful pastors. That brings us to number two. Number two, protect innocent pastors. Protect innocent pastors. The Secret Service was developed in the 1900s, and the main purpose of the Secret Service was to protect key important figures. Uh, One specifically is the President of the United States. Could you imagine if you were put on his protection detail, what you had to be willing to do? Jump in front of a bullet for him. Make sure that every path that he takes is clear. That's, that's the idea in this passage, is to protect your pastors. Verse 19 says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As I'd already mentioned, here's the deal. Satan is out to tear down God's church. And one of the ways that he does that is tearing down the pastor. And to tear down the pastor, he will take any avenue that he can to tear down the pastor. Whether it be truth, of ways that he is tripping up or falling, or whether it be false lies and accusations that he wants to make against the pastor because, you know, the truth is is that if you can even get a lie to, to be a, it present in someone's mind about a person, it really tears down your thought of who that person could be. could not even be the truth. But if you get that lie to stick just a little, it hurts his reputation. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> i got a pastor friend of mine who was falsely accused by one of the women in his church to trying to flirt with him, or excuse me, flirt with her and you know, go after a relationship her even while he was preaching, okay? And so one of the things she would say is that, I know it, while you're preaching, you look out at the crowd, but you really hone in on one person, and that's me. And, I, and, and you're trying to subliminally tell me you want a relationship with me. It sounds funny and it sounds silly, But think about if that person 
it doesn't, be, doesn't get known to everybody, but she starts to go and tell a couple people here or there, you know, he's trying to have a relationship with me. Right? That, that could hurt the church, right? This passage tells us that there are going to be those accusations, those charges. But it says this, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. There are going to be accusations, but here's what the text does not say, first of all, is that Never accuse or call out the sins of a pastor. It's not saying, don't ever, if you see a pastor sinning or him tripping up or falling, don't ever say anything about it. That's not what it's saying. But what it is saying is this, even with pastors, follow God's design procedure to deal with sin. Follow God's design procedure to deal with sin. And the way that we find that, this really is just a, a, a parallel passage to Matthew 18. We turn over there and we get Jesus' instructions on how sin should be dealt with in a relationship. Okay, let's turn over there, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. You can look on the screen or, or look on your, in your Bibles with me as well. Jesus, in explaining how to resolve conflict, he gives us this instruction. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So he gives us a process here of how to deal with sins inside a relationship. If you feel that someone has sinned against you or there's a sin that you have seen and you want to address, we are called to go and talk to that individual about it. It's not with a a waved finger in their face to say, this is what you did and, you know, you need to change. It's with a humble attitude of loving and caring for that person and saying, I truly care about you. I don't want you to get tripped up in sin. Do Do you see that what I'm trying to say? And if you're confident that this is a sin and in that confrontation, nothing goes about to change and you still think it's a sin, then your next step is to go take another mature Christian and go confront that individual with another mature Christian. That doesn't mean you go to the one that you know is on your side and is irritated at a situation just like you are, and you take them with you. It means go find another mature Christian, one who would think about the situation from a different perspective, but you know he cares about acting like Christ in tough situations. And so find another person and then go confront that individual as well. This is the same process that is followed with non-leaders or non-pastors that should be followed with pastors as well. And as you talk to them uh, and say that it does not uh, turn to repenting of sin, then the next step is to go and tell it to the church. Talk to the elders of the church, and if it gets to that process of it, it needs to come out, then talk, uh, talk to the whole church about it. The whole process of church discipline is to call a a wayward brother back to Christ, even in uh, the person of a leader and a pastor. But in that process, what this is telling us is to do, especially with leaders in this instance, is to protect them. When you hear somebody make an accusation against the pastor, when you make an accusation against how he leads, about what you don't like about the church, don't just give an open ear to that accusation. One, you can give practical suggestions to say, hey, have you went and talked to him about it? 
Have you taken the right steps that you need to take if there's a situation that needs to be dealt with? And in doing that, you know what you're doing as a church family? You're protecting your pastor. You're not letting those false accusations get out in the church and your pastor's reputation to be tarnished. Paul is very uh, concerned about this and gives this specific instruction to protect the innocent pastors. That brings us to our third, third, uh, our third instruction that Paul gives regarding pastors. Number three, <clears throat> rebuke wayward pastors. Rebuke wayward pastors. When you talk to a parent, one thing that is important in the avenue of parenting is disciplining, right? You've all come across that kid who parent has not disciplined them, has not been faithful in working with them to help them understand when they've wronged and then correct it. What happens to them? Those kids, they stay in that sin. They continue in that action. And a lot of times they become little brats, don't they? And you just want to be like, what? have your parents even disciplined you ever? All right. And we've all fallen in that of not taking those right steps. But here we find when a pastor goes the other direction of following God's word, what are we supposed to do? We're not supposed to turn a blind eye. We're not supposed to look away from it. It tells us that we're supposed to re rebuke wayward pastors. Look at verse 20. <coughs> it says, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. So what does it tell us? It says, rebuke them for persistence in sin. Pastors are not outside the laws of God. They're not outside of living a faithful and right and good life and holy life. We're called to holiness. And if we see a pastor that is stepping outside of that, your job is to bring him back in to the right path and to do it in a way that's loving and kind, not to bash him, but to, to say, let me help you. I want to be helpful in this area. And rebuking a wayward pastor is actually a loving thing that we can do for them. There are many reasons that a church might not want to rebuke a sinning, wayward pastor. What are some of those? What might those be? Well, some churches might think, <clears throat> well, his sin is not that big. Let me put that up there for you. His sin is not that big when compared to other sins of other people. Okay? And they'd say, yeah, I know he's got this sin and really doesn't repent of it or does it continually, but, you know, we're just going to let it slide. That could be one reason that a church does not want to call out sin. Another reason could be, while his influence in the church and community is too important to call out his sin. He does too, too many important things in the church, and, and look at how the church has grown since he's been here. And if we lose him or if we call out his sin, oh, that, that's going to hurt the church. And, and because of that thought process, they might say, we're just going to let him stay in his sin. It's okay. We're not going to address it. Another one would be his power and authority are too big to call out his sin. His power and authority are too big. I know if I talk to him about it, he's going to squish me like a bug, right? And he's just going to step on me. And because of that, I don't want to tell anybody I witnessed his sin or continued persistence in sin and that he won't repent of it. Uh, I'm just going to leave it. Another reason might be his feelings will be hurt 
if we call out his sin. His feelings will be hurt. Man, I, I don't want to, he's the pastor, you know, I don't want to hurt his feelings. This passage, again, says those who persist in sin. This is, this is a pastor who has been called out and maybe called out time and time again. What are the next steps that we take for that individual? Another one is that his family will be devastated if we call out his sin. You know, maybe I know of a sin of a pastor, but if it's really going to hurt his family, what if his job is taken away and I can't have that on my own conscience, so I'm just not going to say anything. And As a church, we should just not say anything. Well, here's the important thing as we look at all of these excuses a church might be. Here's the important thing. Rebuking a pastor that is persistent in his sin is actually the best thing for him. Rebuking a pastor that is caught and persistent in his sin is actually the best thing for him. And not just for him. It's the best thing for him, for his family, and for the church that he's ministering at. Because it's important to recognize that God wants holiness. God wants holiness, and he brings pastors into areas to challenge those under him to holiness. God wants them to grow in holiness. And if he is not being that example, and he does not care about God, that doesn't mean that he's never going to fail or never mess up. But is his heart to change and to ask for forgiveness and to move into more like Christ, if that's what he's showing, you take two different roads. But if he's persistent in sin, what is our job here? It says in the passage, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. Rebuke them. And, and this is after you've worked through that whole process. You now present it to the church, and it is a, it is a, a, a process to show to the rest of the church this individual is caught in sin. He is not turning away from sin. And we want him to be an example to you that God does not, he's not okay with you living in sin. And he wants you to turn from it. It's not to try to be mean to this individual, but it says in the passage, rebuke him in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Fear of God and God's greatness. Fear that, yes, sin produces something that is not good, and I don't want to, I don't want to live in sin. I want to rebuke that in the presence of all. Then he says in verse 21, In the presence of God in Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules. I mean, wow, what an exclamation point he puts on the end of this idea to keep your pastors pure. He says, in the presence of God, Christ Jesus, elect angels. I mean, he's, he's given us a higher authority to say, this is this important that you are willing to stand out and, and say what is good and holy and keep your, your pastors from sinning. And he says also to keep these rules without prejudging and doing nothing from partiality. And don't have a preconceived idea in your mind as, as to, no, he's the pastor. He could never mess up. Or to hearing an individual that wants to give you something that they're not happy with and saying, oh, he's my best friend. He's got to be telling me exactly what's right. But we don't prejudge. We try to hear all of the facts and help, be a helpful uh, attitude as we do it. Do nothing also without partiality. Thinking one is better than the other. We want to praise God and glorify God in all of our actions in these steps. <clears throat> Paul's instructions. Honor faithful pastors. Number two, protect innocent pastors. Number three, rebuke wayward pastors. That brings us to the fourth and final instruction that he gives to us. Choose wisely when electing pastors. Choose wisely when electing pastors. 
Now, can you imagine going into a job that you want to get, and as you sit down, they ask all the questions to see if you're qualified, and they say, have you ever done any construction work? And you say, well, no, I haven't. Well, do you know how to use a table saw? Eh, no, I don't. Uh, do you know how to do what is required of you in the job? Well, no, I don't. What's going to happen? Well, you're not going to get the job. Okay, there are qualifications that God's Word gives us for this position of pastor <clears throat> that as we think about the pastor, those should be present in his life. And as we, at some time in the future, you're going to have to move from this place and, and join with another pastor, or whether it's retirement or God moves us on, uh, whatever the case, you as a church are going to have to consider how do, we, how do we elect another pastor? Well, he gives us some instruction here as to how to do that. Look at verse 22. It says, First of all, do not, be <clears throat> excuse me, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Now, he says, he starts with this, don't be hasty, don't be quick to put somebody into leadership that has not been fully tested yet. And we, we haven't had an opportunity to see their Christian character, and we haven't understood if their Christian character will come out or will other things come out that aren't Christian character. And he says, keep yourself pure. The idea that he says is that the, he's giving instruction to those who would elect, and he's also saying that if you don't take your time and hire a pastor that's going to lead you to godliness, in the sins that that leader spreads on the rest of the church, you have some accountability in because you didn't take the time and effort and the right steps to make sure this pastor is going to be someone that is good and right for your church and godly. Do not be hasty in the laying out of hands, nor partake in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Then he gives a personal note here in verse 23. Um, it's almost as he says, keep yourself pure, and it jogs in his mind something that he wanted to tell Timothy. And he says, verse 23, no longer drink uh, only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. He's thinking about purity, and the water back then was very much contaminated. And in some reason or another, it seems that Timothy tried to take it upon himself to drink nothing else except water, but the water was quite contaminated. And so Paul says, hey, I'm talking about purity, just that reminds me. Don't be afraid to take some medicine because that's going to help you in ministry. It's going to keep you uh, in your body healthy so that you can minister. So he says that in just a quick uh, instance there, verse 23. But then he gets back to his point, verse 24, and says this. It says, The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. Remember, he's talking about qualified elders and how to elect them. He's saying, be aware of the way that people act. Take the right amount of time to, to evaluate if this pastor is someone who teaches God's word, but also someone who acts like God's character and like Jesus' character. Because he says, when we see that someone is a sinful person and persists in sin, he should not, that does not qualify him to be a pastor, an elder. Okay? Look at verse 25. It says, So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So you might, you're going to see a lot of good works from people, but it's very easy for us to put on a show, right? I, I, we think of the times that we as pastor uh, and a pastor's family were looking for different ministry positions. You go and you preach and you present your ministry there, which, which you're hoping to get a job with. And the whole time we're like, we got to look perfect, right? 
I mean, you've got to look like the perfect family so that everybody knows you're perfect. The question for a church who is trying to evaluate that is, have we taken enough time? Have we given enough opportunities to see a potential pastor's character in action? Because we don't want it to just be one time he preached and, oh, wow, he can really put a sermon together. But then the way that he leads is bullying. And the way that he leads is doing stuff that is not godly. That's, that's not the type of person that you want. You want to be consistent with God's word. And make sure, first and foremost, that he meets the qualifications of God's word for a pastor. Let's turn over there. We've already studied this specifically. 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, reminds us of these qualifications of a pastor. It says this, 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his, his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into, the, into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Those are a lot of qualifications, and that's a big task. It's a big task as a church to consider who is, who's right to be our pastor. And of course, as, as you at some point in the future would, would need that, um, we do it with God's wisdom. We do it with a prayerful heart, and, but giving enough opportunities to see God's character come out so that you can make a right decision on who should be leading in that position. Today we've learned that we need to love and serve godly leaders that God has placed over you. We do that by honoring faithful pastors. We do it also by protecting innocent pastors. We do it by rebuking wayward pastors. And we do it by choosing wisely when we elect pastors. That's what we're challenged with today by Paul's word. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time in your word. We thank you for the pastors that have been present uh, in each of our lives. We can look at different stages and be thankful for those individuals that you have given to us, brought over us, that have taught us about you, that have cared for our soul. God, we thank you for them. We do pray for the pastors that you have called into ministry, Lord. Support them, give them the strength that they need, give them the wisdom that they need to continue glorifying you and ministering to the people that you bring into their presence. Thank you for our time in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.